0: two, please. Galatians chapter two. Our text verses tonight are going to be verses one through ten. And we started this last week and we'll look through a couple of things here as we work through these verses. Follow along verse 1 then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to them which were reputation lest by any means I should run or had run in vain but neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, in whom we, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person." For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me in Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision, only they would that we should remember the poor the same, which I also was forward to do. <clears throat> Are we on here, brother? We good? Okay. Um, when we come to the, this passage of Scripture, it's a, it's a continuation of chapter 1. And Paul is giving a defense of himself. He's giving a defense of the Gospel. Uh And we're reading a narrative here. We're reading a testimony. And when you come to passages like this in the Bible, sometimes it's a little tedious. I mean, sometimes you have to go back and you have to understand what the context is, what's going on in this. And we did some of that last week to try to give you some history, some background of what is happening. And you notice when Paul says in the first verse, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. He's talking about something of the past and what he's talking about is is i believe to be the time when when he went to jerusalem with barnabas and titus when they call it the jerusalem council and it was over the and it's recorded in acts chapter 15 if you just keep your place here in galatians but look back in acts chapter 15 <clears throat> verse 1 and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, which would have been Titus, should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And so I believe this is the, the context in which Paul is talking about Now he's talking to the church in Galatia and he's reminding or retelling something of the past and it's dealing with the exact same issue that they were facing in the churches of Galatia. And the issue was that there were those false teachers who were trying to add to the gospel of grace. In other words, they they were trying to make it so that Gentiles, if they were to be saved, also had to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. And so they were adding a work to salvation in Christ, and Paul is defending the gospel of Christ, that it's by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Nothing to it, nothing taken away from it. And that's why Paul marveled in verse 6 of chapter 1, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Paul was shocked that they could so easily desert Jesus Christ to another gospel, which is not another, he says, it's not another one of the same kind. It's a false gospel. It's not equally powerful or effective. And so, this is what we're dealing with here. And these Judaizers, the ones who were teaching this false doctrine, were men, were people who were supposedly Christian people, but they were following Paul everywhere he went in all the different towns and cities that he was preaching the gospel, and they were dogging his steps. And they would come in and try to pervert the gospel. And that's what Paul says. There'd be some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul's statement or Paul's reason for writing is actually given to us again or we're reminded of it in chapter 2 in our text. Look at verse 5 again. He says, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And so that final statement of verse 5 reminds us again of the reason why Paul wrote this book. So that the gospel, the real gospel, would continue with you. Now, what it tells us is that Paul was in a battle. Paul was in a battle for truth. He was in a battle against those propagating a false gospel. And they were, again, in this case, they were called Judaizers. They they were Jews from Jerusalem who had come into the region of Galatia in in the Gentile world, purposely following Paul into the churches that he had had established in in the region of Galatia. There were a number of cities where Paul had planted churches. And we know that it's not just one church that Paul's writing to. It's an entire region, several churches, And the book of Acts tells us all the places that Paul went to planting churches. But they followed him, and they dogged his steps, and they came into these churches preaching a different gospel, another gospel. And Paul was shocked that these Galatian believers, these church members in Galatia, had even given them ear, number one, but so soon. And so Paul is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ in chapters 1 and 2. He's going to start to uh, make a a very clear and powerful argument in chapters 3 and 4 that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ and not of works. No man is justified by the works of the law. He's going to lay that out. And then in chapters 5 and 6, Paul's going to get to the practical side of the doctrine. What flows from your life then if you're truly changed by the gospel of jesus christ and we'll see all of that but but right now we're working through this narrative and sometimes it demands a little bit of us it demands a little bit of thinking and it demands a little bit of going back and finding out what all this is about and i don't want you to, to become bored all scripture is given by inspiration of god and it's profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness all right and, and sometimes the Word of God demands that of us, and you need to pay attention uh, as we walk through it. But the main part here that you need to be aware of is that Paul is defending the Gospel of Christ, and he did that his entire ministry. From beginning to end, Paul defended the true Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to go over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Keep your place here again in Galatians. But just look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 2 Timothy... What needs to be noted here is that this is the end of Paul's ministry, the very end of it. He's about ready to finish his course, and he's about ready to, uh, to give his life. And Paul writes this letter to preacher Timothy, and he says in chapter 1 in verse 10, he says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, "...and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." So Paul says we have life and light through the gospel. And then he says, "...whereunto I am appointed a preacher." So he says, "...I am appointed a preacher of the gospel, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed." And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He says, it's the gospel that I'm appointed a preacher of. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. And I preach this gospel. And preaching the gospel is the very reason that I suffer all of these things. I suffer in life because of preaching the gospel. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed of that. And he says, I know this. I know whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. What did he commit unto him? Paul's talking about a soul. He says, I'm persuaded that God's able to keep my soul. When the hour of death comes, I am convinced that I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. So he says all of those things, and he's about ready to, to, to go on. He's about ready to die very soon. And notice what he says in verse 13 to Timothy. Hold fast... That form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. What is Paul talking about to Timothy here? He says, my job is about done. I've been appointed a preacher of the gospel. I've suffered all of these things. And then he says, now your job, Timothy, is to hold fast the sound words that you've heard of me. And and he says, that good thing which was committed to you, keep it by the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing that's been committed to you, Timothy, is to protect and keep the Gospel of Jesus Christ and be faithful to it by the Holy Ghost. The last book that Paul ever wrote was 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, he's passing on the responsibility for the Gospel, for its preaching, for its protection, for its preservation to his own son in the faith, Timothy. Now, lest we think that that was then and that was only for Timothy. When we read in Jude, in verse 3, Jude says, Beloved saints of God, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And Jude gives this idea and this responsibility to saints of God to contend for the faith. Paul defended the gospel. Paul defended the faith his entire life, his entire ministry. He passed on the, uh, to Timothy, telling him, you also have the same responsibility. When we read in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15, Paul said, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. All of a sudden, we find that all of that responsibility now comes and rests squarely on our shoulders as a New Testament church. To be defenders of the truth, the church of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We have the same responsibility with the gospel. Stewardship of the truth. Now, I said all of that, because we're going to make some applications in a minute here, but everything that Paul wrote was about the gospel. It was the heart of his life. In Romans, he said, I have to preach the gospel. I have to Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. To the Corinthians, he said, Necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said to them, I don't want to know anything among you save the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was relentless in his proclamation of the gospel. He was relentless in his defense of the gospel. And because of that, Satan and his emissaries and his detractors and his liars and his deceivers and his false teachers dogged his steps in opposition to the gospel that he preached everywhere he went. That's really what we're dealing with as Paul writes to the church in Gal- churches of Galatia. And we need to understand what's all behind that. What is it that Satan wants to do? Well, Satan, first of all, he wants to prevent people from hearing the true gospel at all and, even, and being saved. He doesn't want people to come under the sound of the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God leads a person to understand their guilt before God and leads a person to understand that they have no hope without Christ and they run for mercy to the Lord Jesus Christ for pardon for their soul. Satan doesn't even want people to hear the gospel, first of all. But secondly, if he can't get people from hearing the gospel, and maybe there are people who who truly get saved, he would want to take believers who have believed the gospel, who have been saved, and then try to convince them that, you know what, this gospel that you have, you're a little too strict with it. In order to get people to come in, you probably should water it down a little bit. You should change the message a little bit so that we can share our faith and so more people can hear the gospel. He wants to try to do that. There's so much of Christianity today that wants to lighten up the gospel, to loosen it up, because they don't want the offense that comes with preaching the true gospel. They don't want the rejection that might come with it. They don't want the hostility of the world that comes with preaching a true message. Paul faced all of those things. You know what they do want? They want the popularity that comes with finding a compromising message that people are willing to accept. But anything that alters the gospel only comes from the darkness. And Paul said, if anybody preaches any other gospel than I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him have the destruction of God in his life. So, here they come. These false teachers into the regions of Galatia. And they go into the churches and they begin to confuse the believers that Paul poured his life into. And they try to discredit him and the message that he preached and Paul is shocked that they've deserted Christ so quickly and he writes this letter to them to the point where he is crystal clear on the gospel that it is by faith alone that it is by grace alone apart from any kind of works of the law and he's defending his message and he's defending his ministry in chapters 1 and 2 and that's what we're reading about here that's where we are now the reason he's doing that and the reason he's giving this testimony in chapter 2 is because in chapter 1 he first of all said that the message I preached, the gospel I preach I didn't get it from men it didn't come by men it came from God himself my calling wasn't from men my calling was from God The message I preach, I didn't get it from the apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, I haven't even been around them. I haven't even seen them. I couldn't possibly have got it from them. And so he says that in chapter 1, but then he gets to chapter 2, and he makes another argument. And the argument that he's making is, even though I did not get my message from the apostles, what you'll find is that the message we're preaching is the same message. It's the same gospel and these are false teachers. That there's cooperation there because it's the same Spirit and the same Lord and the same gospel that that we preach. So, let's just look at some of these verses here. And again, chapter 2, when Paul says, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem, he's talking about that Jerusalem council because it's the same issue that there were those who came into the church at Antioch. We read it in Acts chapter 15. If you go back there again, Let's look in Acts 15. So Paul has come back from his first missionary journey. The end of chapter 14 tells us that he abode a long time with the disciples back in Antioch, the church that he was sent from. And then right away in chapter 15, "...and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved." exact same issue. Paul says, I've seen this before. I've dealt with this before. And he's telling this to the churches of Galatia. This very issue I've dealt with before. And here's what happened. And Acts 15 describes for us and tells us what happened. But that's what we read in chapter 2. Paul says, here's what happened. I went to Jerusalem for this very issue. And we talked about this very issue. And I want you to know there's agreement Between the apostles of Jerusalem and the gospel that I preach as well. So, verses 1 through 5, go back to our text, Galatians 2. In verses 1 through 5, Paul tells the reason that he made this trip to Jerusalem. He says in verse 2 I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately, to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul tells the reason why he went up to Jerusalem. Paul went up to Jerusalem 14 years later, which if you go back and do the math, some say it would have been 17 years from the time of his conversion or 14 years from the time of his conversion. Either way, Paul went back many years later and he went with Barnabas and he brought Titus with him. His companions were important. This was calculated. Barnabas was an important person to have with him because he was Paul's uh, companion in the gospel, and the apostles knew who Barnabas was. He was a companion in ministry, and he would have been a very important person to have as a representative of the Jewish support of the gospel message that he preached. But he also took Titus who is also important to bring, because Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. He was clearly a believer in the Lord. He was fully Greek, and he was a born again. A little bit. Paul's express reason for going to Jerusalem is found in verse two. He says, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. He's been preaching it for, for at least 14 years, probably 17 years. He's already done, had one missionary journey, planted several churches. This is the gospel that he's been preaching. He has not had communication with the apostles in Jerusalem. And so he says, I went to communicate to them and show them the gospel that I've been preaching all of these years. The word communicate means to lay before. And so he says here, I'm gonna lay, I want, went to lay before the Jerusalem leaders the gospel that I've been preaching all these years. Now, why did Paul do that? Did he do it for affirmation? Did he do it for, you know, approval? I don't believe that Paul did this because he went for their approval. Because the Bible says here, I went up by revelation. In other words, what he's saying is, I was told to go. He says, I didn't do it uh, because I was searching for affirmation or recognition or approval from them. I went because I was told to go. I went because of revelation. In other words, God told me to. It was clearly from God, and Paul faithfully obeyed it. And it shows us that Paul was not seeking approval from the leaders. He was acting under the authority of Christ directly. Now, what's interesting about this is when we read in Acts chapter 15, again, hold your place here, but go there, Notice the wording in Acts chapter 15, in verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Notice the word they. They determined that Paul and Barnabas should go. Where, are they? Where is he? He's at home at the church in Antioch. The end of chapter 14 tells us that Paul came back from his missionary journey, and he spent a long time. He rehearsed with the church all that God had done with them, and he spent a long time with the brethren in Antioch. When they determined that Paul and Barnabas should go, I think it's talking about the church. The church determined that Paul and Barnabas should go. So how do we reconcile that? When Paul says in Galatians 2, that I went up by revelation. The Lord told me to. Well, here's how I would reconcile it. I would reconcile it like this God told him to do it because it was God's will, but the church ratified that it was the Lord's will that he do this. Now, let me make an application about that. A man can say he's called to preach because a church can't call somebody to preach, a man can't call somebody to preach, only God calls somebody to preach. But a man can say he's called to preach, called of God, but the authority to preach the gospel was given to the Lord's church. And if there is a man who's called to preach, guess what? The church is going to see it and know that the hand of God is there and the church is going to ratify the will of God in a person's life. So when you get these guys who, hey, I'm preaching the gospel, and in fact there wasn't, it wasn't that many years ago, There was a guy uh, that I was talking to and trying to deal with, and there was another guy who was a preacher from some other state, you know, in the lower 48, and it was was a native man. And I had come in contact with him, and I was dealing with him and doing Bible studies with him, and, and I was discerning of the fact that he had heard the gospel, and he'd made a profession of faith. He was doubting his salvation. We walked through the scriptures. We did Bible studies. But I also understood that there was this other guy who had so much influence in his life. And I wanted to know who he was. So I asked him. And he gave me his name, and he gave me his phone number. So, I like to get myself in trouble sometimes. I didn't get in trouble. I gave him trouble. No, I'm kidding. I called him up. And I started talking to him, he's like, oh yeah, I, I do ministry and mission work to the natives of Alaska. I said, well, where are you? He's like, oh. he was back in the lower 48. And I'm like, so you, you were up here and then you left a mission work that you were trying to start here? And he's like, yeah, for a while, and there was some trouble and this and that. I'm like, okay, like, where's your home church? And he's like, well, the church that I attend when I'm at home is this church over here. But the church, you know, that I was sent out of is this church over here, some other place. And, and I asked them, like, so do they know what, because you're not even in any, any one of those, do they know, does your home church know what's going on? They're like, no, he doesn't, they don't know. I'm like, what do you mean they don't know? In other words, he's saying, they have no idea what's happening in the ministry. They have no idea what I'm even talking about or preaching or teaching to these people. They have no idea what's going on. He said his plan was to come back up to Alaska and base himself in North Pole, Alaska, and then reach out to the native villages all over the state. And I was like... Well, if you're going to do that, why don't you join a church here in in North Pole, Alaska, have the right authority and be sent out with the right authority to preach the gospel? He says, I don't need that. My authority comes from God. I said, you don't know your Bible. Because Christ gave the authority to his church to preach the gospel, and you don't have authority just from God. God might call you to preach, but the church has the authority to give the gospel and preach the gospel. Well, we went round and round and round and round. It didn't go anywhere. And we started to get off into the weeds even, and I was just like, "Uh, it's not worth my time anymore. But see, you got people out there like that, is what I'm saying. And Paul said, I went by revelation. The Lord told me to. But I believe the church ratified the will of God in Antioch because that was his home church, his sending church. And they said, yes, this is the right thing. We need to deal with this issue. That's the way it ought to be. God can call a man to preach, but I guarantee you, a scriptural New Testament church is going to see the hand of God and know the hand of God in a person's life, and they're going to send him forth under the call of the Spirit of God. That's the way it ought to work. Nobody's an island unto themselves, and nobody has their own ministry. Noah George is called of God to preach the gospel, but he's sent out under the authority of Plack Road Baptist Church. He's an extension of us. Amen? Paul's ministry was an extension of the church in Antioch. And so, the church ratified it. He goes to Jerusalem, he presents to them the gospel that he is, he's been preaching all of these years. And I want you to go back because Paul says, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach, present tense, among the Gentiles. He's using the present tense, indicating that it's the gospel that he's currently preaching, the one that he has been preaching, and the one that he's going to keep on preaching that doesn't need any revision to it, and he's not going to accept any revision to it. Because he said in chapter 1 and verse 11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel uh, which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in other words, he goes to Jerusalem to tell them about the gospel he's preaching, but it's not for approval because it doesn't need any, di- any changes made to it because I got it from Christ. Okay, good. Everybody's with me. Now, if Acts chapter 15 is the background, which it seems to be, when you look in Acts chapter 15 and verse 4, it states that Paul was received of the church in Jerusalem and of the apostles and elders, and that he declared to them all that God had done with them as a result of preaching the true gospel. So he declares to all of them all that God has been doing, but then he makes note that it's a private message or a private meeting to those who were of reputation. He says in Galatians 2, in verse 2, he communicated unto them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, what is Paul saying or what is he meaning when he says to those of reputation? So he generally declares all that God was doing, but he has this private meeting with those who seem to be of reputation. Well, I don't believe he's speaking derisively here of those who are of reputation. I think what he's doing is simply responding to the accusation of the Judaizers who were comparing him. Remember, he's defending his ministry. They were comparing him who was in their mind someone of no reputation. They're trying to discredit Paul. And they're comparing him with the apostles who were in their mind of reputation because they were Jews. His motivation for speaking to them privately, he says, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. His message didn't need verification Of the jerusalem leaders in order to be valid he got it from christ however having their cooperation and having their agreement that we're preaching the very same gospel would actually greatly enhance the success of his ministry and he didn't want to do anything to hinder that besides that there were those who had snuck in privately who wished to cause problems. And so it's possible as well that Paul wanted to meet privately because he didn't want those Judaizers interfering with the meeting that they had. And he says, now notice verse 4. Verse 3 says, "...but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately or privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage he says he says there wouldn't even have been need for for a private meeting if it weren't for the fact that these false brethren snuck in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ in order to bring us back into bondage and then Paul makes it very clear that he didn't yield to them at all. In verse 5, "...to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you." He makes it clear that he didn't give them a place, even a little bit, and the reason was so that the truth of the gospel might remain or be permanent with you, you Gentile believers." And it tells us something, that Paul is really passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ and defending it. And the application for us is this. Love of Christ and love of the gospel demands a strong stance for the gospel. Paul loved the people in the churches of Galatia. He says, he says here so that the, the gospel would remain permanent with you. He's he's talking about concern for them, love for them, and love for Christ, and love for the gospel, and love for the souls of men demands a strong stance on the gospel. A false gospel would ruin their lives. A false gospel would destroy the churches. A false gospel would condemn souls to hell. That's what was going on. And Paul says passionately, I'm defending the gospel so that it will remain with you. And I'm telling you, friend, the same is true for us. Love for Christ and love for the souls of men demands that we never compromise in the message of the gospel. We don't need to water it down. We don't need to be ashamed of it. We should definitely defend it against those who claim to preach the gospel, but in reality, they're only preaching a false gospel. You know what? Churches that call themselves true churches, that call themselves Baptist churches, that are weak on repentance and preach no repentance at all, are false preachers and teachers, and they're preaching a false gospel. We ought to defend it. Oh, you don't need to repent. All you need to do is believe. That's a false gospel. And we ought to defend it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Think about that. Think about that. We don't have to change it. We don't have to manipulate it. We don't have to do anything except just preach it. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. You don't want to believe in Christ? That's on you. That's between you and God. My job is to preach the gospel to you. But I believe in the power of God, and I believe that the gospel is the power of God, and so you deal with it before God. I don't need to try to convince you. I just need to give the truth and leave it with the Lord. One demonstration... Of his support or Paul's support here was the fact that Titus, who was a believing Gentile, when he went up to Jerusalem, he took Titus with him. And notice what he says in verse 3 But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, what he's saying is, I brought Titus with me to this meeting. With all the apostles and all the elders, and we talked about this very issue because there were some who were teaching that you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so Paul says, I'm bringing Titus with me. He's a Gentile, he's uncircumcised, he's fully Greek, and he's a believer, he's born again, he's a preacher of the gospel. In other words, they were going to have to say that Titus, who is truly a believer in Christ, is not a born-again man, that he's not a saved person, that he's a false teacher and a false prophet. They would have to say that he wasn't truly saved. And here's the important thing to note. Paul is talking to the Galatians when he's writing this. He's talking to the Galatians. And he says, listen, in his defense of the gospel, there are the, there's this problem. People are teaching you need to be sa- you need to keep the law, you need to be circumcised. But like he's like, listen, people. When I went to Jerusalem, not even the apostles or the elders were compelling Titus, who's a Greek, to get circumcised. Do you think then that circumcision has anything to do with salvation? You understand that? You understand that argument? He's talking to the Galatians and he's like, hey, if this were really something that was true, don't you think that the apostles would have been compelling Titus too? But they didn't say anything about it. Not a word. We went to Jerusalem. When we got to Jerusalem, we were in the Jerusalem church with all of the apostles and the elders. We were there at the Jerusalem council When the apostles gathered together, we were there at the same time. And not one of them said a word to Titus that he should get circumcised. Nobody brought it up that circumcision was needed for salvation in order to be a true Christian. So Paul is making that argument to the Galatians. Like, think about this. And that's the first affirmation of the apostles on Paul's authority and his apostleship and the gospel that he preached. He obviously had the right gospel, the same one that the apostles in Jerusalem were preaching, and it didn't include circumcision or law keeping or ceremonies. We said the only reason that that was even an issue was because of those false brethren who secretly were brought in by Satan himself sneaking in to spy out our liberty and our freedom that we have in Christ. And the reason they're doing that is to try to bring us back into bondage. That's the true definition of legalism, by the way. Works for salvation, and it always leads to bondage. Always. And so Paul gives the reason why he went to Jerusalem, but then secondly and lastly, notice the response. In verse 6, he says, But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth not no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter... For he that wrought affectionately in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So here's the response. Paul says in verse 6, Of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, first of all, Paul honored the Jerusalem leaders. But not in the sense that he was dependent on them for the validation of his message he said that they were made that that they whoever they were he said it didn't really make a difference to me in respect of my call to preach and in respect of the message that i'm preaching it didn't really make a difference to me that they were of reputation because god doesn't show favoritism to people But he reports that in no respect did these who seemed to be of reputation add anything to his message. On the contrary, they actually extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. In other words, (coughs) he's telling the Galatian believers that the apostles recognized that the gospel for the uncircumcised the Gentiles, had been committed to Paul and Barnabas by the grace of God, and that the gospel for the circumcised, the Jews, had been committed to Peter. And he says, the message that I've been preaching, they didn't change it, they didn't add anything to it, it's the same message that they were preaching. And he says here that they understood that God's grace and the Spirit of God was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, just like the, the Spirit of God and uh, was given to Peter to preach the gospel to the Jews. Now, don't be confused, and I don't think you are, but don't be confused by the wording when he says, they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Peter. He's not talking about two gospels there. So don't be confused by that. There's only one gospel, just two different assignments to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And it was the same Holy Spirit who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the Jews that also worked effectively in the Apostle Paul for the apostleship to the Gentiles. Same gospel, same message, same spirit, two different assignments. Now let me just say this by way of application. Paul talks about himself as an apostle called of God. He talks about Peter, James, and John as those who seem to be of reputation. He talks about them in a, in a, in a, a manner that was, that was uh, respectful and so on. But ultimately, it's not about people. Ultimately, it's not about men. Ultimately, it's not about who they are. It's about God. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, it's never about people. Paul says it's not about who I am as a preacher. It's not about who Peter is or James is or who John is or who anybody else is. It's about the gospel. And listen, if there's, if there's an agenda going on amongst the preachers of a church, there's something really wrong. I don't need accolades for myself. But if there's a preacher who's trying to gain recognition or who's trying to hold on to recognition or who's trying to gain something for himself with an agenda, there's something really wrong. Because it's not about people. But you know what? There's a lot of man worship in churches. There's a lot of man worship in Baptist churches. And it better be about the Gospel and about Jesus Christ. It was the same gospel. And they saw it. The Jerusalem leaders saw it. That it was the same gospel. And Paul says, I I was called by God to the Gentiles. Peter was called of God to preach the gospel to the Jews. Two different worlds. The Jewish world and the Gentile world, but the same gospel. So then Paul says to the Galatians, I was there. I laid out this gospel to them that I've been preaching all of these years. And you know what? They didn't add anything to it. What is it Paul is saying to them? The gospel that I've preached to you, it's not about works. It's not about anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing added to it. They didn't change anything or add anything to the gospel that I've been preaching because it's the same one that they preach. In fact, he says, look at verse 9. So then Paul says this. So he's, he's telling the Galatians this. They didn't add anything to it. He says, in fact, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. That's really significant. In our culture, we shake hands with everybody, right? Like we greet somebody like, hey, how you doing? Give them the right hand. In that culture, and this wording, it's a lot more significant. When they reach out and give them the right hand of fellowship, the wording and the definition of it, what it actually means is partnership. Yeah. And what he's saying is they partnered with us in preaching the same gospel to the whole world. I think that's pretty awesome. Partnership in the Gospel. But then you look at verse 10. Paul makes this caveat. He says, "...only they would that we should remember the poor the same which I also also was forward to do." I was thinking about that, and Paul's retelling something, But an application came to my mind as I was thinking about this. Paul says they didn't change anything about the gospel. But the only thing that they would have added was to remind us to remember the poor. The same which I also was forward to do. Verse 10 has this very small phrase. But it's loaded with significance the only thing that they added was that Paul and Barnabas in their ministry remember the needs of the poor which Paul said I was already forward to do the word means eager I was eager to do and in typical fashion that was something that, was, that Paul was more than happy and ready to help with the needs of the poor. In fact, go through his ministry. Go through his life. And what do you find? The Apostle Paul, whenever there was needs, Paul was right there ready to lend a hand or to do something to meet the need that somebody had. The reason for Paul, why he was eager to do this, was this. Sound doctrine will always lead to practical Christian love and concern. When you have the true gospel of Jesus Christ and you preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it will always lead to practical action with love and concern. Now, this is talking about the needs of the poor. And that brief thought of remembering the poor... Listen, that is something for us as well. We might tend to shy away from those kinds of things, especially in our culture. We're very affluent. And we all see the people who are standing out on the corner with their signs up, you know, need food, whatever. and I, I probably have told you this before, but I read an article. There was a study that was done On these people, you know, the ones that stand at the corners, you know, with their signs and stuff. And it's funny in Alaska because you drive, you know, by Fred's parking lot and you see these guys standing there in their their full Carhartt winter gear. I'm like, I don't even have that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, how do you afford that if you don't have any money? But there's the study that was done on this as a as a in society as a whole, like because it was really catching on. And the study found that at any given time, any one of those people on average would have anywhere from $1,000 to $3,000 in their pocket at any given time. They're not in need. And we see that kind of stuff and we shy away from it and rightfully so. I'm not gonna necessarily have pity because you're not really poor, you're trying to pull a scam. But that doesn't mean that there aren't cases in which somebody really legitimately has a need. But we can be really affected by that in our culture, and we can shy away from that sort of thing. But it's not necessarily because, oh, well, you don't really have a need. Most of the time, it's because we get so busy and so wrapped up in our own lives, so involved with our own things that we have very little concern for those who might actually have a legitimate need. But it's part of the gospel. Doctrine, right doctrine, should always lead to action. And you look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went about doing good to everybody. Jesus was the truth. He was the life. He was the way of salvation. And yet, what do you find in the life of Jesus? That everywhere He went multitudes of people flocked around him and he healed their sick and he he dealt with the issues that people had, the physical ailments that people had. Even to his own hurt or tiredness or whatever. Listen, that's something I appreciate about Noah George so much. In fact, let me just read something for you that he sent me this week. Let's see if I can find it. He said, Pastor, could someone wire me $3,000 sometime this week? I've got some extra expenses for the church as I'm trying to help some of the people keep their kids from losing their chance at school and also want to help Sister Nawal get an eye surgery for her cataracts. She's barely able to read anymore and she has no way of affording such a surgery. If somebody could wire me that money, uh, then he would be able to use it to help these people in need. That is just a small reflection of, of his entire ministry. He's always doing things like that of his own accord to help people with legitimate need and it always inspires me because you know what his his approach isn't like i'm just meeting all these physical needs obviously it's obviously it's for the purpose of 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 getting them the gospel but he's the one who highlighted it for me even in my own life that listen listen you don't have a true gospel if you don't really have compassion on people. True Christianity doesn't say, well, be warmed and filled, and doesn't do anything for the need of the body. What I'm simply saying is this if we fail to show compassion when the need is legitimate, we actually deny the very gospel we say we believe. We can be so selfish. And we can be so stingy with our money mine 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 but you know what that's not the attitude of christ that's not the attitude of the gospel that we are supposed to preach and so paul said the only thing that they added was just remember the needs of the poor but paul said i was already eager to do that because that was his life and you could study that out you could see that over and over and over again in his life and that ought to teach us something because you know what we get tight we become tightwads with our money and our time and we don't have <clears throat> excuse me we don't have time for the neighbor across the road who actually has a legitimate need we don't have time to go out of our way to be a blessing to someone else so that we can actually show the love of Christ that opens their heart to the gospel have time for that. Because we're too busy with our own plans and retirements and agendas and all of that. But let's not be those kinds of people. That's not who Jesus Christ was. And if we fail to show compassion when there's a legitimate need, we deny the gospel that we say we believe. So, let me wrap it all up here. What is Paul saying to us what is he saying to the Galatians well he's saying I'm a true apostle called of God I preach the true gospel given by God it was the very thing that changed my entire life he gave his own personal testimony my testimony validates the power of this gospel and then beyond that the apostles and the leaders of Jerusalem listen they preach the same one that's what he's saying to the Galatians there's only one gospel Whatever these guys are teaching is another gospel. It's not another one of the same kind. Now, there might be different methods in getting the gospel out, but there's still only one gospel. That's the power of God unto salvation, and it's to those who believe. And so, this portion reminds us Paul is, what is he dealing with? He's dealing with defending the gospel. And it reminds us that we've got to be willing to take up the fight, defend the gospel of liberty in Christ. Even amongst those who call themselves true and who say they preach the gospel, sometimes there's still a line that needs to be drawn. The truth of the gospel needs to be maintained. It needs to be defended. It's got to be proclaimed. And we have to accurately live it out. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd bless with Your Spirit, Lord, in application to Your Word in individual hearts tonight. Thank You for the Word of God. That all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. Or change our lives more into the image of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.